I'm ready. <laughs> Robert said, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. So we want to continue our exploration of what it is to be human. <clears throat> and I'm wondering if you've ever wondered about that. Like, what is it to be human? And who, who's, who told you what it is? Or how did you learn what it is? Or, or do you still have the question or not? Was your question, if you had it, was it answered? Or is there still, maybe it was half answered or, you know, answered, but there's still more to discover. You know, what? or the question I like to ask, her, what are we doing here as human beings? Like what's, what's you know, everybody likes to ask this, what's my job or what's my role? Or what is it to be whatever designation that lands on you, male or female or straight or gay or white or black or brown or yellow or, or you know, rich or middle class or, you know, working class or whatever designations we have, what is it to be a human being? What is, what is that? And really, if we weren't on a silent retreat, I'd love to hear some answers. And really, I, and I even get tempted to not break the silence, but make it a little more interactive because that question I find really fascinating. And I don't, I'm not going to give you an answer tonight to that question. And um, really, the, the, a question for me is not, a, it's not a problem not to have an answer. Now the, 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 the curiosity or the interest or the wonder is part of what I pay attention to when that question arises. <clears throat> and so, and, and in my own limited understanding and practice, um, part of what the Dharma is revealing or the part of what practice begins to show us is the potential of what it is to be a human being or what it is to be beyond a human being if that's what we are. If this is also just another designation that we take for a while or forever, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a final idea but I definitely have um, a certain amount of uh, questioning and investigative uh, relationship with this, right? This Eugene-ness. And, and I'm, you know, I'm familiar with Eugene-ness. Eugene-ness has been here for a few years now. And, you know, it's done okay and had a life and... You know, the, the whole catastrophe, as John Kabat-Zinn would say. Actually, he got that from the movie. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. Pardon? Zorba. Yeah, Zorba, thank you. Zorba the Greek. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
but I think that's an interesting part of practice is practice reveals humanness. And this came up in one of the groups today, but we were talking about the Buddha and uh, the Buddha's enlightenment, which is not a word I like that much. I think awakening is a much better word. And the fact that the Buddha was a real human being, right? He wasn't a god, he wasn't a deva, he wasn't a holy something. He, he was a person. And he was a person who woke up. And that's how he put it. <clears throat> and so, so I, I like awakening better than enlightenment. But even better, personally, I like the idea of that the Buddha reached a, a very beautiful level of human maturity. That he matured as a human being in a way that not everybody does, but is the potential for each human being. Just like we all grow up and learn and develop and get a little more mature. And, well, this is a whole nother possibility or potential of what it means to mature as a human being, which is to wake up or awaken. <clears throat> and the way we see that we understand the teaching of what he offered was he encouraged us to get very close to this experience as we're hoping to encourage you to do while you're here to get very um, direct with this experience very immediate with this experience very intimate with this experience with the feelings and the emotions and the sensations and the mind states and the thoughts and the mental activity. And to keep seeing what you know, which is your knowing emotions or feelings or sensations, and, but also stay open to what you might not yet know or what you might discover here that we don't naturally always know in our normal, conventional, everyday life and reality. <clears throat> and one of the reasons why I like the word intimacy, or to be intimate with our experience, because true intimacy has a warmth to it and a care to it, and a heartfulness to it, and a love to it. It's not an abstract thing. And even and conventionally, which is really how we usually use the word, you know, when we become intimate with someone, it means something to each person. It's not an abstract idea, oh, we became intimate and we did it by thinking something. No, we became, really, intimacy often means merging with someone, often physically. And it points to the intimacy that we're talking about, which is beyond the usual holding of ourselves separate or alone. And as something here and then there's something here, when we become intimate, it becomes much closer, much more immediate, much more direct. And that's how we know it's intimate. 
And so when we love someone, one of the things that comes very naturally, and when I say intimacy in this way, I mean it on all levels, you know, whether we love children or parents or a lover or friends or whoever it might be, or actually even whatever we might love. When we start to get intimate in this loving way, we want to know more about what we love, what we care about. You know, I mean, and the easiest example is, you know, if you ever meet somebody and kind of fall in love, you know, quickly, and we all know that also has its pluses and minuses, maybe I should put it, but still it's like, if, if that spark is there and it starts to happen between two people, oh, you really want to know the person. Hey, who are you? Or what do you think? Or how do you feel about this? Or how do you see that? Or how do you do this? Or, or you know, or sometimes people f- fall in love with anything and then, oh, you want to study it or learn about it or devote oneself to it because we care about it. Because the connection is not just mental, right? It's There's mental quality. The mind is there, but the heart and mind is there, or the heart mind is there. And this is, this is a little Eugene aside, but I just came to me and I'm going to throw it in. So here, the word that's used for mind generally in uh, Pali, and I think Sanskrit, but I'm not a linguist, so but is uh, chitta, chitta. And chitta, what's in, what I find most interesting about the fact they use the word chitta and call it mind is some people translate it as mind and some people as heart. And in the cultures and the times when this word came out and was used, chitta, it really meant heart or mind weren't separated in the way we separate it now in our advanced, you know, so-called advanced culture or the development of progress where we've separated the heart and mind. Chitta, heart-mind, was one thing. Or you could point to it using the same word, which I like personally. So, and so one of the things that, um, in the way that I'm talking about being intimate, is that when we love something, there's a lot of awareness there about that thing. We want to know that thing. And how do we know things? How do we know something if we're not aware of it? Right? It's the awareness that's leading the knowing. Or, and I don't, I'm curious about this, but sometimes I I could substitute the word knowing for awareness because awareness knows. It knows what we feel, what we think, what we, how we are, what we like, what we don't like, what we see, what we hear, what we feel, etc. It's knowing. It's knowing, knowing, knowing. <clears throat> So one of my favorite Dharma quotes, which is from um, Dogen, Zen Master Dogen, and I've used this for years and I keep using it because it so well sums up what we're doing here. 
he said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. Everybody get that we've been doing that today? We've been studying the self in different forms, different, you know, feelings, different sensations, different minds, different, you know, while we're eating, while we're walking, while we're sitting, we're, it, it's the self. It's what's here. We're studying the self. To study this, to study the Buddha way is to study the self, pay attention, become aware of the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And I translate this in Eugene's translation, meaning to study the self is to start to relax our identification with the self. It's just to start to relax a little with the habit and history and conditions that created a Eugene or whoever else it might be, right? Jane, John, Susie, Richard, etc. Right? And that's it's not that we have to get rid of it, but all of a sudden it's not just preeminent as as a thing. It starts to lose its thingness. Doesn't mean that we're throwing it away or you have to get rid of the self or there can't be a self. Self has its relative reality and functions and it's a good, good thing. But as Dogen says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self or relax or let go of the self in the usual strong identification with that. And to forget the self is to become intimate with all things. To forget the self is to become intimate or awaken. It can be translated either way from the Japanese. Is to be intimate with all things. And that's a beautiful understanding of what we're doing here. We're studying the self. We're studying what's here. We're studying who we are. We're studying how we've gotten shaped into a certain identity. And we're not, we're not judging it or we're not condemning it or we're not saying it's bad. We're just looking a little more closely at that configuration of reality that's sitting in each seat. Reality sitting right here. And And the self has its relative truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's part of the truth. And we want to see, oh, what else is here? If the self is a a constellation, is a conditioned phenomena that has its place in the world. So we want to start to, and then to forget the self is to become intimate. And, and the word intimate, or the character in Japanese for intimate and awakening, the same character. And I love that. I love that because it po- also points to, it, here in my understanding, it points to that awakening is not a thing. Just like when we're intimate with someone, it's not a thing. You can't hold on to it. Anybody ever notice that? 
Like we can be really intimate with someone and then things change or even the intimacy changes or, the, or who they are and we are keeps changing. And so the intimacy is not static or fixed. And so I love that because it's pointing to oh, awakening is not static or fixed. And of course, when we're coming from a more static or fixed or reified relationship with reality, oh, we're going to project awakening is this thing and I've got to go get it and then I put it in my pocket. And like Jack Palance, if you're old enough to know who he was, you ride off and you look really good. He was an actor. And and I have no idea where his name just came from. (laughs) I haven't thought about him in a long time. So, so as we're starting to be aware, and it's fine, right now you can be aware. You don't have to wait till the meditation, because you're already aware. Tune into it a little bit, or enjoy it, or don't enjoy it, but be aware of it a little bit. So, one of the things that happens is we start to be aware of the particulars of our experience, right? Happy, sad, hot, cold, you know, windy, cool, what, you know, what, whatever it might be. You know, like the talk, don't like the talk, whatever. These are the particulars of experience that happen and sustain for a while and change, right? And we, uh, but as well as the particulars, there's the fact of our knowing of the particulars. We're aware of the particulars. We're recognizing the particulars. And Jack, my friend Jack Hornfield, he said, in addition to the particulars, although uh, generally unnoticed, is the sheer fact of conscious awareness. It's the sheer fact of conscious awareness. It's not something we're taught to be aware of, but it's happening all the time. And so I think about this different ways, because I'm contemplating this still, I'm learning about awareness. It's fascinating that it exists and that it keeps recognizing reality all the time. And yet I can't find awareness anywhere. Or, or all I can is find it everywhere. But there's no thing that I can put in my pocket and ride off like Miley Sarias. Maybe that's a more current name. Or, <laughs> or <laughs> no, don't use that either. Okay, sorry. I'm just trying to get current a little bit. Um, you know, it's like awareness in my perception so far. It's like it's like fish swim. We're like we're like fish swimming in water, right? Uh, my assumption is the fish aren't going around saying, "Oh, water? Where's the water? Can you see the water?" No, they're not thinking about the water. The water is reality. 
and they live in that reality, there's no question for them about water or not water. It's just, so then there's no contemplation of it. Of course, this is a kind of, I forget what that word is when you humanize an animal, but I don't mean to offend any fish lovers here. But, um, but it's a little like that for us. We're living in the water of awareness all the time, or most of the time. You know, it's an interesting question about sleep, and I don't have a, a big opinion about that yet. And so this awareness is like a certain gravity. It's such a central part of our existence. It's like gravity is a central part of the natural world and the earth, right? We don't, we don't think about it most time. But if it wasn't happening, we'd have a really different world here. We'd have a really different retreat center and a different retreat. But it's always here, so we don't even think about it. We don't even pay. Nobody says, oh yeah, I feel gravity now. Can you feel it? It's, it's, what not, it's not letting you float up two feet or three feet, no matter how good your meditation is, right? Because the gravity is here. But we're not paying attention to it because it's always here. So, and it's really interesting to consider what is consciousness and awareness and things like that. And science, which is really um, beautiful, human science. I mean, what an amazing thing that we have science and we keep learning more and more and more about what it is to be a human in this scientific way. And I love, and this is my own prejudice here, but I love how science has caught up to Buddhism lately. And they're really into it. And they think, oh yeah, they've just discovered it. Like, you know, they, they made it up or something. But really, you know, they're having some correlate understanding about what happens in the brain and what's been pointed to for 2,600 years since the Buddha's time. And so, great, I say, but they describe consciousness and the content of consciousness as a product of the brain. Okay, maybe, I'm open to that as a possibility, but what do you think awareness is? Is that a product of the brain? I don't know. I don't think so. And I don't think so, partly because of my experience and partly because Buddhist psychology says consciousness itself is a condition for life, right? That consciousness is before life. That's an interesting perspective. And I'm not saying, oh, that's truth or that, but I'm just saying there's more to learn there's so much we don't know yet. And that's not a bad thing. There's more for us to learn. Look at how much human beings have learned over, I don't even know how many years we've been here on this planet, but look at how much we've learned. And, and you could take any domain of, of human um, uh, experience and look how, how it's developed and it kept transforming and kept maturing. And, you know, uh, I'm gonna talk about cooking right now. 
because uh, it's what came into my mind and how great cooking is. And it's different than it was 2,000 years ago. You all remember that about cooking? It was simpler 2,000 years ago or it wasn't quite as sophisticated. And there's all kinds of, or even growing in agriculture and that's changed and keeps changing. And again, I could go on and on. It doesn't matter what we want to look at. Oh, human, something about human beings has this evolutionary understanding and wisdom that happens and it's all it's true for us on every level and it's even true in the spiritual world we're still learning more the buddha didn't say oh it's a done deal just do exactly what i did and then you quit he didn't say that no he set the stage and he kept the the whole um um teaching open so that Buddhism's been evolutionary. It's changed. There's different, it's different than when he was, you know, first teaching. And it's not different bad or somebody corrupted it. No, it keeps expanding because human understanding is continuing. And I'm pointing at this because I hope to convey that our understanding right here for each of us is continuing and that that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's, at least for me, that that excites me. So we're looking at awareness and how awareness begins to recognize or see or know experience and the way that's talked about is it's it's like a light that shines a light on reality on human reality as it's sitting here right now like right now it's you're aware of whatever is happening for you whatever you think whatever you feel it's already here and, and being known amazingly quickly Amazingly, and that's why that points to the not thingness, right? It's not, oh, we have to plug it in and make sure my computer's turned on and, you know, and oh, did I get the battery charged up on the cell phone, you know? No, it's it's all right here. It's all happening. And the light is a beautiful way to understand a little bit about awareness, that it brings light or better word is illumination. It begins to illuminate reality. And that's, I like that word even better than light. The reason I, I, I like light because I could then switch in the talk and I say it also has to do with lightening up. And I like that. I think that's also a really good part of waking up is relaxing a little or taking it easy or seeing Oh, what we're seeking is already sitting here. It's not, you don't even have to come to Spirit Rock. It's not what you are, what we're looking for. It's already here. And the looking and then the illumination is what starts to reveal what we're all looking for, what we're all seeking. So practice means bringing awareness 
into the present moment or letting awareness function in the present moment, moment by moment, and not assuming that we know everything. And I'm, I have a little agenda about that, not assuming that we know everything. And it's not that I think we don't know a lot. And I love, like I say, I love the knowing of human beings, but I love the unknowing that we have. And I think it's invaluable and undervalued. Maybe that's the best way I could say it, that we undervalue the unknown. And there's so much more that we'll discover as we begin to not veil reality with what we know about it but begin to keep looking or seeing or being present or feeling or sensing or being aware of what's actually here without knowing what's actually here. And again, for me, the the, uh, appreciation of the life itself that is knowing reality, the awareness itself, the appreciation is a heart quality. It's care, and it's like I said about love what we love, and we want to know what we love more. So loving life, that's what we're, we're here. We, why not? Because we won't be here forever in this form, as far as I can tell. And I've had some experiences lately that, you know, give me a teeny bit of understanding, although... Who the hell knows, really? I, I, I'm being really honest with you now. Because I've had my own seeing of, oh yeah, death can happen just like that. But I've also had other experiences where it's like, oh, everything's always here, no matter what. Now, what the hell is that? I don't know, and I'm open to learning more about that. Um. So the appreciation of the potential of what it is to be a living being. And that's already sitting here. We're all living beings. And I love the way Henry Miller talked about it. You remember him, the Buddhist teacher, Henry Miller? He He said, the aim of life is to live. The aim of life is to live, and to live means to be aware. To live means to be aware. To be aware joyously, drunkenly, serenely, divinely aware. The aim of life is to live, and to live means to be aware, joyously, drunkenly, serenely, divinely aware. I thought that was a good teaching by Mr. Miller. And then this aware has a lot of, brings a lot of paradox with it. Like, it's always happening on its own. Right? Everybody got that? (laughs) It's not fair to ask you these questions when you're not answering, but it's just the way my talks come out. Sorry. And really, everything's happening, awareness is happening on its own. Meaning, here, and this is something that Anna said today, and we're going to continue to point you at, so stop being aware. 
No, actually, really do it now. Stop being aware. Do you have any control over stopping it? What is, what is that? Isn't that kind of wild? That it's just happening on its own? And we think it's us? And, and maybe it is us, I don't know, but it's just kind of wild that the awareness just does itself. It's not a thing. It's not I awareness. <laughs> that was a good joke. I don't know why you didn't get that. <laughs> oh, I, I hadn't thought of that before. Um, <laughs> Um, here's one of the things that happens for people that they start talking about um, the effort it takes to be aware. Right? Have you noticed that? I'm going to make some effort. I'm really going to be aware now because the teachers are talking about being aware and paying attention. And, and, and it's fine to do that. It's a certain kind of focusing of our awareness and we have this kind of relationship. We can focus our attention in this way so we can direct the awareness, right? And here, I'll give you an example. Everybody, put your awareness in your right foot right now, which really just means feel your right foot, right? Okay? Everybody got it or should I wait for somebody, right? If you put your awareness in your right foot, what did you do? Did you do anything? Or you just kind of feel your right foot and the awareness is there, it's functioning. And really I'm pointing at how simple or easy it is to focus the attention it's not a big effort, right? And then try something else. How about your left elbow? And that, people don't usually pay a lot of attention to their elbows. Pay attention to your left elbow without changing anything. Just feel that. And notice what it feels like. Is it hot or is it cold? Or does it feel stiff or does it feel bony? Or does it feel soft? Or does it feel empty? Or does it feel like nothing? But there's something there that you're aware of, that we're calling the left elbow, or the left elbow space, place, right? And it's, it's, it's not a lot of work. You don't have to go dig a ditch to feel your right foot or your left elbow. And this is the kind of awareness we're talking about that's not just an effort. Sometimes we need to make an effort and sometimes we just let say whatever and then okay we put our attention in our mouth right now and just feel the mouth. We're aware of the mouth, the inside of the mouth. Dry or wet or damp or sticky or good taste from dinner or bad taste from dinner or whatever's there. And it's just known, boom, almost boom. Maybe it takes a second or two. 
really what's happening when we're focusing is we're undoing the resistance to awareness. We're starting to open to the awareness. And in the groups today, it was great to talk to people and see what's been happening. And, and, and what will happen is, here's one of the things that would happen, is people would say something like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing so well. I'm lost in this. I'm lost in thinking about this and that. And I I'm, I'm keep seeing I'm sleepy and I'm dull and I'm foggy. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, you're aware of all that. Were you aware that you're aware of that? Right, Because not only do we want to be aware of what's happening, like, oh, I'm foggy, but also our reaction to the fogginess. Our resistance to the fogginess. Or our thinking the fogginess is horrible or it's great, whichever way you might fall on the fogginess question. But I'm, but I'm pointing you to something that I saw in the group. So I thought, oh yeah, this is happening, which is we're often aware of the experience. It's not the experience we want. So we don't see the awareness that's knowing it. We don't see, oh, we're also aware of fogginess or of agitation. Oh yeah, I was really agitated or sleepy. And yet you're aware of that but we don't like those states. And so there's aversion to it. We want to be aware of both the state and the reaction, the aversion we might have to sleepiness. Because we're not trying to fix you into making you some kind of perfect something. You're already perfect. That's what's not really understood. The, the, the mystery and magic and beauty of reality is right, it's right here. Where, where else would it be? So, and then one of the things that would have, what I saw today also was, uh, there was uh, people would say, oh, I'm thinking about my this and that or my job and I can't stop and da-da-da. Oh, are you aware that you're thinking? Yeah, I notice I'm thinking, but oh, da, 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 da. oh, are you aware you don't want like the thinking, or don't you know? Yet you're aversive to the thinking, or or I keep thinking about my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever friend you have, and it's da, 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 I can't stop. Oh, do you like thinking about? Oh, you don't see that. Like it's pleasurable when you sometimes you want to just think about things we like. So we want to really let the awareness be very open. Recognizing the particulars and recognizing the totality of the experience within feeling or thinking or remembering or some body state like sleepiness. And and the other thing, I'll say it again in a very direct way. So we want to be aware of what we're aware of and the reaction to what we're aware of. Whether it's a good reaction or a bad reaction. We, we don't really care. I'm just giving you a secret. I don't know if they said it's okay to say this. We don't care what happens. If you're aware of it, that's the doorway. Right? Because Reality is going to show up a lot of different ways. 
Sometimes we like it, sometimes we don't. <clears throat> and so the aware, the, the being aware of the object of awareness and the reactions to it, and also the thoughts are hard. We're not used to being aware of thought. Even though we think we're aware of thought, often I just keep hearing it and people and myself, you know, we think thought is reality. What we're thinking is true. And believe me, if you were looking at my mind, you would know it's not true. Because my mind will think anything. You know, it's a little better than it was, you know, 25 years ago, but not much. Sometimes it's even worse because I'm more relaxed about this stuff, so it'll go anywhere. <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, the question is, can you start to be aware of thought? And what happens when you're not bound to the thought or not identified with the thought? Like thought, like sound or like feeling or sensation, it's just... One, it's part of the phenomena of human experience that we could be aware of. And um, well, let's see, where do I want to go with this talk? Mm, okay, I definitely want to go there. Um, so one other thing that I'll say that I saw in the, um, the interviews today that I think is important, which is um, judgment of the experience. And you don't have to stop judging it, but be aware of the experience and there's, oh, judgment. This is wrong, this is bad, this is not good. You know, there's something wrong with me, etc., etc. It's That's dukkha. And I don't know if we said it, but dukkha is the Pali word that means suffering. And it's a very broad understanding of suffering. And it's a really, and I love the word because it's so much broader than our word for suffering. It includes all the obvious suffering like war or racism or hatred or, or um, fear or um, um, sickness, old age, death kind of dukkhas, you know. Um, but it also includes not so um, dramatic stuff, you know, like you're sitting here in the talk, and if you don't like the talk, it's a bad talk. That's also a kind of dukkha, you know, or if I don't know what I'm saying at all, that's, you know, has its dukkha. Or if you um, notice your bladder because you have to go pee, that's also dukkha. It's not just the worst things are dukkha. It's part of human life, dukkha. And what I like about dukkha is it takes away so much of the critique of suffering from being because of us. Meaning, oh no, this is part of human life, that we have difficulty, that people we care about die. This is normal. This is not, you did something wrong and therefore the person you cared for had this happen. You know, or, or, or that it's your fault that you're suffering. There's a relationship we have with the suffering and that's what we can begin to cultivate and begin to develop and become more skillful with and become more liberating with our suffering. But it doesn't mean the suffering just disappears. Even the Buddha, you, you read the text and you know, he's an old man at some point, he's got a bad back. 
And he, he's complaining about having to be wrapped up like, I can't remember the metaphor he uses, but you know, like what happens when your body doesn't work so well. If you have a body, it won't work all the time. That's dukkha. And it's not your fault. It's part of the human reality for all of us. And I, I always appreciate the non-judgmentalness of Buddhism about that. And and so and and the other piece to remember is opening up or recognizing our dukkha, our difficulty, our fear, or our judgment, even that, recognizing it, or or the or the unclarity, or the whatever it might be, you know, the fogginess, whatever the dukkha is. Dukkha is the beginning of the end of dukkha in Buddhist teaching. It's all connected. Dukkha, cause of dukkha, cessation of dukkha. Those are the three noble truths of the four noble truths, right? That's how, the, that's how he taught how freedom comes. Re, be starting to recognize dukkha, recognize how it comes about that there's dukkha, and then how dukkha relaxes or ceases and the cessation of dukkha. <clears throat> so, um, sati, that we're translated as mindfulness, and also I'm calling awareness, is about being present or intimate or contactful or open with our experience so that we're not knowing experience from a distance. It's not, oh, Eugene's sitting over here watching what happens to Eugene. No, it's all right here, right? If I'm happy, it's all right here. And it's being known right here. There's not a separate Eugene who's knowing Eugene's happy, right? If Eugene's sad, there's not a separate Eugene who's knowing Eugene's sad. It's all right here. There's a unification, or here, a better way to say it. Subject-object reality has its relative place, but it's not the total picture. And we tend to live in subject-object reality. <clears throat> Meaning we relate uh, as if something's out there. And we have uh, the experience, and the experience is not really here. It's out there. Oh, that was my experience, or this is my experience, as if it's separate from us in some way, shape, or form. And one of the things that happens with sati is it starts to become more intimate. <clears throat> that there's less distance between the awareness and what we're aware of. And maybe, and I'm, this is really a question, my own question, is there any separation at all? That's a really great question, really, because I, I don't know. I mean, I see the relative separation, but when I say that even now, is there any separation between what you're aware of and you right now? Right? The, the knowing, where is the knowing of what you're knowing? Even if it's me, where is the knowing of that? Is that separate from you? And, and really, I'm, I'm just, this is just 
arising while I'm talking, this kind of questioning and wondering and curiosity. So, and, and so that's really, feel, feel your butt for a second. Just feel your butt, everybody. Everybody got one, right? Can we just feel butt together for a minute? You know, and, and what are you experiencing if you feel your butt? What we call butt. You could use any word, rear end, ass, what, it doesn't matter, just feel it, right? So what are you, what's happening? Is it separate from you? Are you somewhere else? <clears throat> if you're really experiential, if you're experientially intimate with your butt right now or that experience and you're knowing it, right? In the experience, the knowing's not just an idea about it. There's something there that's, that's um, revealing itself to you as you experience it. The experience and the uh, the thing that's giving you the experience are not so separate. <clears throat> As you see or feel or recognize the experience, see what happens if you don't try to change it, if you don't try to fix it, if you don't spiritualize it, like you, like you don't have to do anything. It's just being known. And the knowing is very direct, is very immediate, is very simple. And this, this is again a little Eugene idea, but I'll give it. I think one of the reasons we have a difficulty with practice is because it asks us to be very simple. And we're not used to the simplicity that's being pointed at in the Dharma. Because <clears throat> we've been so conditioned about complexity, and it, and we we can we do great with a lot of complexity. Amazing, what people do. So be aware of what you're aware of, and be conscious of your experience, and the consciousness that is aware of your experience right now. In other words. So pay attention both to the object and the awareness itself. Where is that? Where is the awareness that is feeding you information all the time? Right? That is telling you what a butt feels like. Can you find the awareness? Somebody can somebody put it in a bag for me and give it to me later? Or... And as I've been saying, awareness, here's, here's one of the tricks, or what's tricky for us, is we keep looking for a thing or a conceptual understanding that we can repeat. Because that's how we're trained, and trained in many wonderful ways. But this may not be about conceptual understanding. It may be a different kind of knowing than we're used to. <clears throat> it may be an experiential understanding rather than a cognitive idea kind of understanding. So one of the ways awareness is sometimes talked about, I think it was Anna said, oh, it's like a mirror sometimes. And that's, that's a great image. I like the image of the sky, 
right? Like awareness is open, like the sky of awareness, it's called. And it's portrayed sometimes as having, that we have a sky-like awareness, right? <clears throat> and it's, and like the sky, it's totally empty. There's, there's nothing there. Like if you try to find the sky, it's just everywhere. Even if it's filled by rain and snow or clouds or, or planes or firecrackers or whatever is in there, doesn't, doesn't, it, it all has its in place, but the sky is just there. Like awareness is just there, maybe. I don't even want to say, oh, that's what it is. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways awareness is talked about, but one of the other ways it's talked about being open, empty, clear, containing all things, but not limited by them. Containing all things, but not limited by them. And it knows, it's sentient in that sense. It knows things as they appear, right? And aren't you, whatever you, whatever is happening for you, you're, it's being known. Whatever I'm saying, you're knowing it in some way, shape, or form. Whether you, and then whether you like what I'm saying or not, or agree with it, that's all being known in this sky of awareness. And what, what's happening with your body if you're tired now or hungry or restless or relaxed? It's all, right? The openness of awareness. And the awareness is described as being unconditioned. Unconditioned. And so let's see. Maybe that's not true. I'm, I'm open to finding out experientially. And that's why the teaching about stop being aware is also helpful. It starts pointed, pointing at the unconditionality of awareness. So what we're doing here and what we're hoping to do is to um, teach the Dharma and help guide ourselves and one another into more... Uh, understanding direct experience of the Dharma through the practice that the Buddha talked about with the four foundations of mindfulness, bodyfulness, heartfulness. <clears throat> and, um, and we're giving instructions at time and also we're just pointing at something that's not a thing. Awareness the knowing that happens amazingly, amazing how it happens. And that's happening right now. And so the invitation to you is don't be, don't, don't worry about making mistakes. You'll keep learning from the mistakes as you keep staying aware. It's fine to make mistakes. It's great. Buddha made a lot of mistakes and he was so good at, at uh, learning from his mistakes. And um, let's see what happens if you have permission to be aware 24-7, right? 24-7. You don't have to work hard at it, 
but you could be aware 24-7 and see what happens if you start to play with it or explore it or investigate this domain of reality in the way that we're talking about it right now, in the fullness of the experience that's sitting right here, that's sitting in your seat. Let's get more intimate with this experience, whatever age it is, whatever shape it is, whatever gender it is, whatever color it is, whatever religious background, whatever class, doesn't matter. Or, or it matters, and we want to include that in what we're aware of. And I'll end with a quote from Ajahn Mun, who was Ajahn Chah's teacher. Ajahn Mun. <clears throat> Remember, he's the fellow who, when I read the quote yesterday about... Uh, Never let the mind desert the body. That was Ajahn Mun. I like Ajahn Mun. He said, um, we can notice the distinction between consciousness and all transient states and experience that arise and pass away within it. We can notice the distinction between consciousness and all the transient states and experience that arise and pass away within it. When we do not understand this point, we take each of the passing states to be real. When we do not understand this point, we take each of the passing states to be real. And so he's, he's not saying, oh, they're not real. He's saying they have their relative reality, but they're not ultimate reality. <laughs> meaning we tend to believe it or we tend to identify with it. But when changing conditions such as happiness and unhappiness are seen for what they are, we find the way to peace. When changing conditions such as happiness or unhappiness are seen for what they are, we find the way to peace. And if you can rest in the knowing if you can rest in the knowing, the pure consciousness, what we're calling awareness, there's not much more to do. If you can rest in the knowing, in the pure consciousness, there's not much more to do. Let's sit for a moment, please.
Thank you for your kind attention. We'll have a period of walking practice.